Welcome. You are listening to a sermon presented at the First Church of Christ in Elkins, West Virginia. This message is given by pastor and teacher Jason Brandon. Jason will be selecting passages from the Word of God and showing us how to apply God's Word in our lives today. He will also be showing us why we need Jesus. How can faith, God, and the Bible have more influence in your daily life? What is God saying to us today? For this and more, stay tuned. We are in 2 Corinthians chapter 4 today, and starting with verse 13. used to be that people that came to church twice a year came on Christmas and Easter. Um, And I never understood that, because you are always going to hear the same sermon on Christmas and the same sermon on Easter. They're They're the two weeks of a year when you can count on the subject of the sermon. Why would you pick those as the two weeks to to keep showing up as for only those two years? You're never going to hear anything new. Um, And and that's a good thing. I I love the Christmas and the Easter message, that they are the reason for our salvation, but they're they're limited on their subject. Uh, that's, That's been changed. Lately, Mother's Day, in many churches, I've heard most churches, is the highest attendance Every, every year. Um, Mother's Day is the day, is the one day in the year that, that the most phone calls are made. And the most collect phone calls are made on Father's Day. <laughs> and you may think that that's a joke, but it's not. It's funny, but it's real. The most collect phone calls uh, have historically been on, on Father's Day. Today, society looks down on dads. In sitcoms, pick any sitcom, the father is this lovable idiot. Uh, and and I, don't, you know, I don't think that that's fair. Uh, for one thing, I think if you set low expectations, you will get low results. Um, and, and I think our society shows that. Uh, but biblically... The father has the highest of responsibilities. Mothers nurture and love. Fathers are called biblically to be the head of the household and to display Christ's sacrificial love for his bride. Now, I get it. This is an increasingly rejected concept by our world, and that's okay. I don't expect non-Christians to agree with the conclusions and, and the commands of the Bible. Uh, The world has confused equality with sameness. So I'll say something that's terribly unpopular for our world, but it's, it's frankly very true. Men and women are created equal, but we are not the same. This is a very basic premise of humanity and, and the Bible, uh, that shouldn't be contentious, but is. We are, we are physically hardwired differently. And because we are holistic, it affects everything. It affects even how we think to some extent. Men view the world different than, than women. Uh, we're, we're wired differently. Um, we, we are equal. Uh, be very, very clear on that. Uh, men and women are equal, but we are not the same. And the Bible doesn't treat men and women the same, and it doesn't treat the role of fathers and the role of mothers the same. And so how this plays out, when a child reads, here's where this responsibility comes in. When a child reads through the Bible, 
and sees that God is our loving Father, what's the first thing that they think of? What do they see? Their, their first example of how they can take the unseen Father and compare them is to their mortal Father. Um, and, and so for kids that didn't grow up with fathers, that's hard. That's difficult. Um, we, we know uh, that, that statistically that if you were raised in a fatherless house, you have a much higher chance of, of ending up in prison, of, of your life spinning out of control. God wired us as humans this way that we need our dads. And, and that doesn't, uh, don't, there are, there, are, there are so many reasons. You know, you think of men that went overseas to fight and didn't come back. You know, and, and now mom is raising the kids alone. And there's, there's obviously that that's a tragedy. And, there's, and we're not speaking uh, against the fact that mom is now stuck as a single mom through no choice of her own. But we were wired to have both a mom and a dad in our lives. It's the way God made us. And when that doesn't work out, uh, for, for the various reasons that that has, when that doesn't work out, it's harder. It is harder. And it's harder for kids to grow up uh, to be uh, to have their view of God and the world the way that they were wired to be, um, it is necessary that to set that example of a godly father, dads, it is necessary that a biblical father keeps his focus on God first because he has to set that example of a loving father to his kids. Parents are good at looking at the unseen. We see the potential in our kids. We see the pitfalls and problems that our kids will face one day. We love them when they're not lovely, when, when, when they're acting spoiled and rotten and screaming in Walmart and refusing to take baths and, and having to pick them up by the belt and throw them in the bathtub fully clothed anyway. That may have just been me, but God, God likewise sees our potential and loves us through our pitfalls and our problems. And when we're unlovely, he always loves us. His love is unconditional. Never confuse unconditional love for unconditional acceptance of what we do. We could, when we do wrong things, God still loves us, but he wishes we didn't do that. Today, I want to focus on this idea of seeing the unseen, where our eyes should be. And this is not just for fathers, but for all of us. Uh, this is a good day to read. What does it mean to see past what our physical eyes see? What does it mean to see the unseen? And so we'll start in 2 Corinthians chapter 4 and, and verse 13. Paul says, It is written, I believed, therefore I have spoken. With that same spirit of faith, we also believe and therefore speak. Because we know that the one who raised the Lord Jesus from the dead will also raise us with Jesus and present us with you in his presence. It is important as Christians that we focus on the resurrection. Does anybody think that life is too busy today, too many things to get done in too little time? You know, computers and cars and, and everything, all the technology was supposed to make life easier. Boy, that backfired. <laughs> um, the, the, most job applications these days, you can't do without a computer. 
They, they require things to be online. We were supposed to go paperless. My stack of receipts is, is, is a mile high these days. Everything has a receipt. I have to keep telling, I have to keep telling the cashier, I, don't, I, I really don't need a receipt for that banana. You know, it's amazing what, what, how, how much paper we use. There is a global paper, paper shortage right now. Uh, we use so much paper these days. Uh, all we have done is fill our lives with more and more things. We are busier now than we have ever been. Now, some people like staying busy. The two phrases I hear, it keeps me out of trouble. Some, some people may need that. Uh, it, it keeps me from getting bored. Well, that's because we don't really understand that there are things to do with our time that don't require busyness. But uh, personally, yeah, okay, I don't watch TV. I, I'm too busy. I really don't watch TV. Eh, I, I don't stop to smell the flowers. Uh, and it's not just allergies. I don't make much time to relax. There's a problem with being too busy. Yeah, less TV, that's, that's probably okay. But as a, as a people, there is less time spent, in, even as Christians. I think we spend less time in prayer and Bible reading. The church of the U.S. today is the least spiritual it's ever been. Uh, the U.S. is the least spiritual it's ever been. For the first time ever, uh, they did a recent statistic. And for years, the number of people who believed in God was 90%, but in the recent survey, it was 80 which is catastrophically low. I mean, yeah, four out of five people believe in God, but never in the history of the U.S. have one out of five not. Um, and... And my own opinion is I think we're showing that. I think, I think our, our, our society, uh, I think the crime rate, you know, a lot, of, a lot of people are good and they don't commit crimes because they know that when nobody's watching, somebody's still watching. I mean, that was, that was the case for the longest amount of time, that you always knew that God was watching, that you knew that there were consequences, eternal consequences to your actions. If you take away God, the, <laughs> the motive to be good starts to go away. And I think that our, our increasing crime rate shows that. Why be good? There's no, there's no reward for being good. If you can get away with it, there's no, there's, there's no punishment for, for, for being bad. The church of the U.S. is, not, is suffering through this right now. Uh, we don't pray. We don't read our Bibles. We don't attend church as frequently as a nation. And, so, and church attendance is at an all-time low in the U.S., other things seem more immediate, and we put off spiritual growth until retirement. Uh, in, in, when I preached in southern Illinois, we had, because there were more Christian churches and churches of Christ uh, in driving distance, there were quite a few of us. There were every bit, within an hour, I could drive to 20 or 30. Um, we, uh, we, once a month, the guys would get together for a, an area men's meeting, we called it, and different churches would take turns hosting these area men's meetings. Um, absolutely, the average age of attendance was 70, and just absolutely. Now, every, all guys were invited, but the only people that came were, were retired guys. They were the only ones that would make the time to, to carve out that time for a couple hours a month to get together for, for spiritual reasons. And I, and I don't think that's just Southern Illinois. I think that that's indicative of, of our world, certainly our culture in the U.S., that it's, we're, bad about, we're bad about putting God off. Uh, 
until we've gotten through everything else. We focus on ball games and taxes and property and everything except for what eternally matters. And I know that there are things in this world that need to be done. I've used the phrase the tyranny of the urgent before. You know, your taxes are due tomorrow. You can put off your Bible reading a day, right? But then the next day something else comes up. And, and, and we're notoriously bad about just you put off the thing that isn't urgent. But at the end of the day, the Bible is what matters. And so we keep putting off what matters for things that are urgent. And we let our deadlines control us instead of our priorities. We have a destiny. We will be resurrected one day. This world is not our home. And in the, in the broadest scope of things, we're not here for very long. We have a great journey ahead of us. We need to be ready for it. We, it's so easy to get distracted from our eternal destiny. We have this idea that we will receive rewards for enduring. Kind of. We take that out of focus. It is important that we endure in the faith, but we need to define what enduring means. And enduring doesn't mean I call myself a Christian for 40, 50, 60, 70 years and don't do anything with it. We have the unseen reward of salvation. We shouldn't. And, and that doesn't mean that, that physical seen rewards like better jobs or raises um, aren't aren't. Of, of some value, but only insofar as they help us in our spiritual lives. Not only must we focus on the world to come, but we have to share it with others. That's part of the job of a Christian. There is more to us than this life, but most of the world doesn't see that. The church sees it, and it's the church's job to communicate it. We're the ones that have to tell them. Our job is to testify to the faith. We believe that there is a resurrection. And so we proclaim it. And again, I want to go to a biblical definition of what belief is. And it is more than just I hope, I think, maybe. Hebrews chapter 11, verse 1, reminds us now faith is being sure of what we, being sure of what we hope for and certain of what we do not see. This is what the ancients were commended for. That's what the faith is that we have. Uh, the resurrection motivates us. It is, it, is, it is so essential to our faith that here we've been reading in 2 Corinthians. Turn with me back to 1 Corinthians chapter 15. 1 Corinthians chapter 15 verse 12, Paul writes this about the resurrection. But if it is preached that Christ has been raised from the dead... How can some of you say that there's no resurrection of the dead? If there is no resurrection of the dead, then not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, our preaching is useless. And so is your faith. More than that, we are then found to be false witnesses about God. For we've testified about God that he raised Christ from the dead. But he did not raise him if, in fact, the dead are not raised. For if the dead are not raised, then Christ has not been raised either. And if Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile. You're still in your sins. And then those also who have fallen asleep in Christ are lost. If only for this life we have hope in Christ, we are to be pitied more than all men. The resurrection is essential to our faith. It, it is pivotal, Paul says. There's no point to our faith without that resurrection. 
We are to keep our eyes focused on the resurrection of the dead that awaits us one day, that we get for being Christians, for following God. Uh, we are to focus on the resurrection. Turn uh, Back in 2 Corinthians chapter 4, we keep reading, verse 15. All this is for your benefit, so that the grace that is reaching more and more people may cause thanksgiving to overflow to the glory of God. Therefore, we do not lose heart, though outwardly we are wasting away, yet inwardly we are being renewed day by day. We should focus on thanksgiving. Let me make one thing clear, and you already know this, the world is falling apart. It's not going to last forever. I mean, that's just biblical as well. Uh, But outside of the biblical, there's a law of entropy, which my unofficial definition is things fall apart, not together. That's just the law of entropy. Whether or not you think that the world is progressing or degenerating, it, it doesn't matter. Whether or not you think that government is getting better or worse, it doesn't matter what you think. This world will end. And if I, read, if I read Revelation correctly, I'm not even sure it's going to be a pleasant ending. Um, it, doesn't, it doesn't sound like it's going to be rainbows and puppy dogs. It, Revelation's kind of rough reading. Now, I'm not saying that I have any clue that when it's going to end. Um, I, have, I have no idea when the world is going to end. It may be another 10,000 years. Who knows? Uh, but this much I know. What's in store for the world uh, is an ending. Uh, something, and, and, and this ending is, when I read Revelation, is bad for the, the world, and it's bad for those who have chosen not to follow God. But it's, a good, it's good for Christians. That doesn't mean I think what I read is going to be hard, but it's hard that is good. Uh, and, and we can be thankful for this, that we have hope that we will get through the tough times. We don't have to be depressed that as things fall apart around us, that we're falling apart with it. it honestly, when I read through the Bible, what, what's the New Testament about? That Christians will suffer. That, frankly, that's the point of Revelation. If you want me to sum up Revelation in a sentence, um, uh, especially you can see this in the letters to the seven churches, which I think are the window into understanding the rest of the book. Um, the seven churches are suffering, um, and, and John, Jesus, through John, tells them, you are suffering, hang in there, we win in the end. That's the story of Revelation, and that's our story. We suffer now. It won't last, hang in there. We will win in the end because Jesus wins, and if we're on his side, we win. And we have a lot to be thankful for. We don't, this world is temporary. It was always supposed to be temporary, and it was never supposed to be paradise on earth. We don't have to be focused on ourselves or the problems around us. We can be thankful for our relationship with God and, and the blessings he gives us. God has promised us salvation if we obey him. And we can live lives of thankfulness even when things are going wrong in our lives. You know, and you may say in my own life, the good does not outweigh the bad, that the bad is worse than the good at this season in my life. And that happens. But for that, those bits of good, we can be thankful that, that we can hang on to that and one day the good will be all that's left. And we can, we can rejoice in that. It is because we have this hope that we can be thankful, even cheerful in our hearts when the going gets tough. 
there are many things in this world that are unpleasant, that are difficult, that are hard, that, that break our hearts. This does not mean that we are always cheerful, we're not always happy, but our hearts are always at peace. Even when we grieve, we don't grieve like those without hope. We have hope. And because we have this hope, our worry is gone. Things may get tough, but the worry of how it's going to end is not our problem anymore. We know how it's going to end. Christ has the victory. And because of this, we can be godly. We can be Christ-like. We can focus on what matters. We become pleasing to God. We quit being us. We become Christ to our world. Our world needs us to be Christ. Christ lives in us and works through us and is seen by the world in our lives. There's a reason to be thankful for that. Read with me then verse 17. For our light and momentary troubles are achieving for us an eternal glory that far outweighs them all. And so we fix our eyes not on what is seen, but on what is unseen. For what is seen is temporary, but what is unseen is eternal. We're called to focus on the unseen. Have, do you remember those pictures? This was a big deal when I was in high school. Do you remember those crazy computer-generated pictures that if you put them behind like something that like like a small sheet of glass and did you ever see those where if you kind of like cross your eyes and look at them a 3D image would come out does anybody remember those those were horrible um i people would be like oh that's amazing and i could no no amount of crossing my eyes could ever seem to bring those into focus they would print those at the back of comic books and the, you 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 still needed to put that cuz you kind of had to stare at your reflection in the glass to kind of nail down exactly where your eyes were to be focusing i couldn't do it they took a little work but in my case they took infinite amounts of work and i could never get never focus on those um looking at what is unseen doesn't come naturally, not to any of us. Um, we're not being humans, being physical creatures. We focus on the physical. Uh, it, it looking at the unseen and the spiritual takes practice and effort. We live in a world with all the things that are seen. And ben Franklin talked about the only truths in life are death and taxes. Um, Taxes, I can see, (laughs) unfortunately. Death is very visible. What comes after death, we can't see. Um, It's easy and and it's natural to focus on our wants, on our needs, on our desires. That's normal. What's hard to do is to focus our eyes on the unseen. Learning to focus not on ourselves. It doesn't come naturally to humans. That's what, why we need the Holy Spirit in our lives. That's what the Bible calls us to, something that doesn't come easy. The Christian walk is not always easy, and this is one of those hard parts. Our relationship with God is unseen. But, uh, we don't talk to Him the way that I talk. we talk to each other. It'd be so much easier if he would speak openly and out loud to us, and it's sometimes hard to hear his voice, and we get in these tough situations, and we say, I just want to know what God thinks on this subject, and we do our best to read the Bible and pray about it, and sometimes 
Sometimes we still struggle to know his will. It would make it so much easier if he would talk out loud to us. Um, It's hard to focus our eyes on the unseen, learning to focus not on us and ourselves. But that doesn't mean that it isn't important. We're spiritual beings. We're more than just physical beings. God created us whole. It's dangerous when we compartmentalize our lives too much. Um, It's easy to think that the physical is what matters. Or, or maybe we compartmentalize and think that it's, it's our social interactions that matter the most, or some people are kind of brainy and maybe focus on, on the mental. One day the physical world will be no more. One day our social circles will be gone, and all that book learning and knowledge that we've picked up through the years will be gone as well. What matters then are the preparations we make for eternity, our spiritual lives, our relationship with God through His Son, Jesus. God says to turn His eyes, turn our eyes on Him. And that's hard. We have problems doing that. Uh, Focusing on Him, it it doesn't come naturally, but it is essential that we focus our eyes on His kingdom. Nathaniel Hawthorne wrote that, that story. It's kind of part of American history. The story of the old man in the mountain, that that stone, natural stone construct that kind of looked like a, a, an old man's face into the mountains of New Hampshire. If you get a New Hampshire quarter, you can see the the, the, the picture on there. Um, as I did my my, my ch- first internship with a church in New Hampshire, I got uh, they they made sure to take me by the old man in the mountain at one point so that I could see it. Um, and I'm glad that they did. There was a storm that kind of destroyed it a while back. Uh, and kind of kind of ruined its face. The premise behind the story was that there was a kid that looked up at the at this monumental, naturally hewn old man face and looked up at it and said, "I want to be, I want to be like that when I grow up." Uh, and at his death, as he laid in the in the in the coffin, people at his funeral commented that he did, in fact, he, he looked at it so long that he kind of became what he had stared after so long. And there's some truth to that story in the sense that if we look at something for a long time, we may start to resemble it. Um, If you focus on something, you may become it. If you focus on money, you will become greedy. If you focus only on hobbies, you will become frivolous. If you focus on God, you will become godly. If you focus on Christ, you will become Christ-like. What this world needs is not world-focused Christians, but heaven-focused Christians. Less Christians who look heroic to the world, more Christians that are servants and humble. And when people see them, they say, you remind me of Jesus. Even even non-Christians. There's nothing better than when a non-Christian says, you're very much like Jesus. That's what we want. More Christians who have their eyes focused on where they are going than where they are. Our hymn of invitation today is hymn number 370. There are so many things to look at in this world. So many things that pull at our attentions. And it's difficult. It's tough. I want to encourage each other. It's not, it, it, if you think it's hard to focus on God and the Bible, I get it. I do. I do. It's very easy to get distracted and and. And, and the devil wants nothing more than, than for you to be distracted. 
That's why we get together as a church, to remind each other and to build each other up and to encourage each other to set our eyes on God, to stay focused on him because he matters, he alone matters in eternity. If you haven't given your life to Christ, to God through Christ, I would like to invite you to do so today. Stick around after church and let's talk. Thank you for listening. You can contact us at our website, firstchurchofchristelkins.com, where you can also find out more. Have a nice week.